And I'm going to go to the book of 1 Peter. God will not let me get away from this topic of holiness. I was speaking to a pastor friend of mine recently, and he said, you're preaching that on a Sunday? Because I think typically um, people will tend to preach holiness because holiness is, is really a demand from God. Um, and so people will tend to preach that on a midweek service where there's not as many guests there. And um, if you're a guest, I, I want you to know that God does demand some things. If you're a member of Refuge Church, God does demand some things. He's a God of grace and loving mercy, but he also has expectations for us. And so I think that we should always be open about what does the word say and not just hide that to specific services. And I keep trying to move past this, but I feel like God keeps going, no, I'm, I'm not ready to move past this topic of holiness. And so we're going to spend some more time on that today. And I'm going to read in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 17. It says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. How many of you know your, your flesh has desires? All across the board, we, we, we know that. And it says, you didn't know any better then. But now, see, that's the thing. Once we see it in the word, we've remo re we have removed excuses. You didn't know better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I'm holy, the Lord says. <clears throat> and he says, remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. Thank you, Lord, for that. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. What does that mean? It means this world is not our permanent home. We're, we're just passing through. So he's encouraging his readers to not get consumed with the things that are temporary. Two weeks ago, I preached the message entitled, The Highway of Holiness. If you missed that, I really do encourage you to go back online. You can view that, and you can find it on YouTube, Facebook, through our website. But I said in that message I would revisit this topic of holiness, and that's what I feel to do today. But I want to pray before we get into this, because if you're a guest... Oftentimes, we have a great time on Sundays, <laughs> but sometimes God just gives us a message that goes, whew, today's, today's one's not as fun to preach, but don't we want to hear what God's Word has to say to us? And so, I would ask that you would pray for two specific things. I say this all the time. We do not need to pray for God's Word today. God's Word does not need any help. It does not need anointing. It already is anointed. It's perfect. God is his word. His word needs zero help. But two components of this need help today. Number one, I need help. I'm the man of God with the microphone in this pulpit today, and I don't take that lightly, and I need God's anointing. I don't want to share thoughts with you today. I want God to speak through me today. So that's the first thing I want you to pray for. The second is there's times God can speak through me, but if your heart and mind aren't open, then he spoke through me, and he says we're supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only. You're all going to hear this today if you choose to stay for the whole service. It's not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just joking. If you choose to hear this, but we need to be doers of what we heard. And so you have to pray for yourself of, God, help my mind, help my heart, not just my ears to be open, but help my heart to be receptive to what you want to say to me. Because ultimately, I don't want any part of my life to be off limits to God. I don't want to say you can have this, 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 and eh, not so much that, not that either. I want to say all of me is yours. Do whatever you want to do. Mold and shape me into what you want me to be today. Would you pray for me and for you today right now? Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. Thank you for what we just sang about, heard, felt, experienced. You're so good to us. 
<laughs> I love you. And I'm so privileged to be able to handle your word. I don't take that lightly. I, as a man, I, I got to have your help this afternoon. I need you to speak through me, anoint me, talk to all of us through your word. But Lord, help every heart and mind, both online and in person, to be open to what it is that you have. God, we desperately want to be the men and women that you are calling us to be. We want to be nothing more, nothing less. We just want to be what you want us to be. So let it be so in this afternoon, I pray in the name of Jesus. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. God, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's the safe part of today. I promise you, I will stay in the word of God. Promise you. That's one promise I will always make. I can't promise every message will be short. Can't promise every message will be long. I can't promise every message will be fun. I can't promise every message will be interesting. But I can promise you every message will be in the Word. And so in his first letter, Peter, he encourages the Christians to maintain a life of holiness in the midst of the atmosphere in which they lived. In our opening passage, Peter warned them, he says, He's really four things. He says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. This is still to the church today. Let us receive it. Church, do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your old desi own desires. That's number one. Number two, now you must be holy in everything you do because God is holy. And so we don't just say, oh, I want to experience this, this, and this, but not so much holiness. Then we're saying, there's a part of you, God, that I don't want to experience. I, I don't want to say that. I want to be holy because God's holy. Third thing, remember that God judges our actions in response to his principles. He judges us based on what we do. Thankfully, if we were judged everything we did in our lives, we'd all be hellbound with no chance. But but such were some of you, but we were washed and justified, sanctified. We, were, we, were, we repented of our sins. Our sins were washed away. He filled us with his spirit. Thank God for that. But moving forward, I don't want to continue in sin, so grace must abound. Paul says, absolutely not. Don't do that. So God's going to judge me based on my response to his invitation and principles. And lastly, Peter says, the world is not our permanent home. We are actually just temporary residents. You know, you might go to another country and say, hey, I, I, have, a, I have a temporary visa. I'm here to, to be here for a certain amount of time, but this is not my home. And when you go into another country, you will still, usually you'll speak your language, wear your type of clothing, follow your customs, but you understand that where you are, you're passing through there, but ultimately your homeland is in another place. This is exactly who we are called to be. Planet Earth, Kansas City area, Liberty, Missouri, this is our temporary home. But I am not going to just get consumed with the things of the current life. My homeland is in another place. And I cannot wait to see the face of Jesus Christ. And so God, he, he calls them, he calls the people of Israel to be holy because he had ransomed them while they were in slavery in Egypt. And he also ransomed us, too, for our sin. First Peter 1.18, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. They lose their value. Just in my short 43 years of living... I can't believe I'm going to start talking like this. When I was young, I remember. But I remember, I, did, I wasn't driving then, but I remember seeing 89 cent a gallon gas. I mean, like, you could buy a really, really nice house for $150,000. Now you might buy a shed in the backyard of someone's house for $150,000. Gold and silver lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for yourself. 
We are so thankful that, hey, you know what? I'm judged according to what I do, but Jesus shed his blood for my life. He saved us from a life that has no lasting or eternal meaning, and he paid a price. He made a way, and he intended us not just, hey, here's what I paid the price for so you can look forward to something later. But he paid the price and called you to be in something right now while you're temporary residence before you get to eternity. And he calls this what the Greek word calls ecclesia. Ecclesia is where we get the word church. It's called out ones. You are a part of, oh, I'm a part of refuge church. No, no, you're a part of something much bigger than refuge church. You're a part of an ecclesia, which is a called out group of believers who Christ died for. He has an internal plan for his church, and it's always included being called out or separated from the world. Peter talks about this privilege in his New Testament writing, but at the heart of the lifestyle that God demanded of his people under the Old Covenant, which is the Old Testament, was this requirement to be holy because God was holy and is holy. Peter quoted that here in the New Testament. We just said, because it is written. Well, when, he, when, when a New Testament writer says, because it is written, What's he referring to? You have to look backward and go, he's quoting someone else. He's quoting something else that they obviously knew. And so he says, because it is written. He's going all the way back to books that Moses penned in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. Not just a select few, not just the pastoral staff. He says, give this to the whole community. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So at this point, we can stop and go, he made me nervous with all those disclaimers. And he's trying to walk me into a trick. No, I'm not. I think at this point, we can stop and go, God wants us all to be holy. Scripturally, we can just pause here and go, he wants me to be holy. Go ahead. Look at your neighbor and say, he wants me to be holy. Look at the other neighbor and say the same thing. And if you don't know that neighbor, now's the time to introduce yourself because that was awkward. In the Old Testament, God rescued Israel from the domination of a cruel and foreign nation who served other gods. And now they were called to be separated unto him because he rescued and loved them. In the New Testament, Peter says that God once again rescued us, but instead of just a temporary rescue like he did for Israel when he called them out of the nation of Egypt after 430 years of bondage, he rescued them. But now in the New Testament, his rescue is eternal. It's not a temporary rescue, but the expectation remains for God's people. He says, I want you to live holy, separated, consecrated, set apart in this ecclesia, in this group of called out ones. And that's why today's title is to be holiness in the most secret places. We are not called by God to be both separated from and unto. And that's where sometimes in churches we, 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 we get stuck with just the, oh, I can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. See, I got to do, I got to be separated from that, from that, from that, from that. But when God is calling us and inviting us to be separated from something, it's unto something much better than what we were, we were walking in up to that point. And so Leviticus 20 tells us this in 20, verse 23. Do not live according to the customs of the people I'm driving out before you. That's quite a mouthful right there. Because they had been for 430 years. Imagine this, okay? Leave that scripture up. Imagine this. 430 years in one place. How many generations is that? Granted, we, didn't, we don't live today as long as they lived back there. But how many generations? 430 years. You're in a place long enough. But God had a land of promise for them. He had a place he was calling them to but they were stuck in this Egyptian bondage for 430 years. No matter who you are, those 430 years, you are going to learn a lot 
about the way they dress, about the way they talk, about the gods they worship, about the foods they eat, about the places they live. And so all those things, no matter how hard they try, they just try to bleed themselves into the DNA of God's people. And God is saying, I have something better for you than this. I'm calling you out of that and into something greater. It's a place of promise that I have set aside for you. But in doing this and going on this journey, I want you to understand something he says to them. I don't want you to live like the people that I've called you out of. And you watch as you read the Old Testament how many times. I mean, the minute they hit a little bit of, a little bit of disturbance, a little bit of opposition, what did, what did the Israelites say? I want to go back. I want to go back. Why would you want to go back to bondage? Oh, because I knew what, what time breakfast was, and I knew what time dinner was, and I knew where I could live, and so it was comfortable because I knew those things. And now you're calling me to walk in this thing called faith. And so even though I was in bondage back there, at least I knew what to expect. And God's going, no, 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 no. I'm calling you out of that into something better, but here's my demand. I don't want you to follow all the things that they did. So he gives, which some people will knock, the law of Moses, 613 different commands. But thank God that he had, they had the law of Moses. They didn't know how to live. So he's like, here's how you're going to dress. Here's how you're going to worship. Here's how you're going to live. Here's how you're going to build your houses. Here's how you deal with mold. Seriously, it's in Scripture. If you didn't know that, it's in Scripture. And it's not just Clorox bleach. So if you, if you, if you thought that was the issue, go, go read the Scripture. You'll find it. And so he starts to give them this list and says, I don't want you to follow the... He says, I am driving out before. It is because they do some shameful things, and I detest those things. So today we can go, wait a second, that was for them in the book of Leviticus. But to this day, if Peter says... You're, this world is not our home. We're temporary residents here. And eventually God is going to come and a trumpet's going to sound. And he's going to, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those which are alive and remain, we're going to forever be with the Lord. We're going to be called out of this earth. And so in the middle of this, as we are the ecclesia, this group of called out, separated ones, we also should not be looking around at the hundreds and hundreds of years that we've been on planet Earth going, yeah, but society does it this way. But Egypt says I should dress this way. And Egypt says I should listen to this music. And Egypt says I should carry myself this way. And God says, I don't care what Egypt does. There's certain things Egypt does that are detestable to me. And so I'm telling you as my ecclesia, to be called out, to be separated because I got eternal plans for you. I love holiness because God is holy. And so he says, but I'm promised you, in verse 24, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as your possession. A land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the Lord your God who has set you apart from all other people. I just don't want to live this life of holiness. Why? It is a blessing from God that he saw enough value in me to say I should live holy and consecrated to him. He says, I've called you out of one thing into another. And one of the things he emphasizes over and over again was being separate from the rest of the sinful world around them. And if you were wise enough to attend camp meeting just 30 minutes up the road, if you were wise enough to attend, Brother Bounds, Aaron Bounds, pastor in Ohio, he preached a message and, and, he, and he challenged us about media and video games and entertainment and music. Not saying any of those, you, you don't do any of those things. He was just talking about our choices in those things. My question to you who are there is will your wisdom continue? Will you be a hearer or a doer? Leviticus 18.3 says, so do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you. He says, you're, you came from this place, you're headed toward this place, but all along your journey, there will be people around you who do not live and make choices like I want you to make. And he's trying to say, hear my voice and follow my plan. Not the people of Egypt, not the people of Canaan, 
Because as long as you are walking in human flesh, there will always be people around you who will try to influence you. And he says, you must not imitate their way of life. Does that sound like, oh, yeah, I'm arrogant, I'm better than, no. He did not say, you're better than any of these people. What he said is, I've called you to be separate. Leviticus 19.2, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20 and 7, so because of this, set yourselves apart to be holy for I am the Lord your God. Now that's interesting. If God is holy, well, bless God, that's God. I can't do anything. Then why would God tell his people to set yourselves apart? That there's certain responsibilities that fall on you and I to say, no, 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 I'm not going to partake in that. I'm not going to live that way, dress that way, listen to that, watch that, act that way, carry myself that way. I'm going to be different. Why? Not because I'm trying to earn salvation, but because, because I'm saved, because of God's salvation, because of the price he paid, I want to walk in his invitation to be a part of the ecclesia. And these are just a few of the passages I could go on and on. He was very clear he was holy. And because of that, he says, I demand that you be holy also. When God calls his people out of a life of sin in a sinful world, he is also calling us not to imitate or be like the cultural standards around us. God has his own set of standards. And even, even, in those, even if those go against the norms of culture, he still expects his people to follow his principles. I can't imagine that Israelite, a, a young Israelite man or woman would go, yeah, but God, here's the thing, though. I'm going to this Egyptian school, and they all carry themselves this way. So you probably understand I got to do it, too. I don't think he looks at a young man or woman and goes, yeah, you know, but now I'm in college, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of professors that are teaching some, and so I know I'm in Canaan now. So now i got to do things this way because I'm sure you'd understand. He doesn't. He promises he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, never going to leave you alone. He's going to walk with you through every middle school class, high school class, college class, job, profession, career, everything you're going to stand for. He's going to be there. But he expects you to say, culture doesn't dictate the way I live. The word of God does. I mean, check this even out, all right? So now we get into some specific things, all right? Leviticus 19, 28, he says, this is the Bible, says, do not cut your bodies for the dead. Obviously, it was going on. And he says, don't mark your skin with tattoos. I'm the Lord. Man. In the New Testament, Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. Apparently in the Old Testament, there were people who were cutting their bodies, getting tattoos on their skin. And in spite of what society and culture were saying, what was normal at that time, Scripture says, don't do that. Other cultures and society were saying, that's fine. God's saying, no, it's not. Because what you do with your body matters to God. Now, I will add this. If you are here today, and I know there's tons of people here today, and you got tattoos on your body, don't cover them up. That's part of your story. That's part of your testimony about what you lived and the life you walked in. We've had people in the past that play guitars up here with their skin rolled up or their, uh, their, their sleeve rolled up and their skin's here with tattoos. I'm not going to walk up and say, hey, brother, roll that thing down. We don't want you showing that. I'm going to say, that, that's your story. But from this point forward, he's saying, hey, I don't want you to do this. Society, culture might say this is the norm. He says, I don't care. That's not what I want. In the 18th chapter of Leviticus, God spends more than 20 verses talking about tons of different sexual sins to avoid. I'm warning you right now. I'm about to read some stuff from God's word that is going to make you so unbelievably uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. 
You know, there's, there's, I don't know who said that, but there's people in the world like you, and, and half the crowd is like, absolutely. Now, I'm, now, you, now you piqued my interest. And the other half of you are already have sweating palms. You're perspiring and going, when's this service going to be over? But there's a reason I want you to see all these things. I mean, I'm not going to pastor a church where all we ever read is the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. Those are all beautiful, wonderful things that we preach about and we celebrate and we cannot make it without the grace and mercy of God. But there's a whole bunch of other things in Scripture where God gets in our face at times and goes, you need to repent. You need to change. That's not my will. I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you to be committed and consecrated. And so if you're a guest, I pray to the living God Almighty that you will come back. We really want you here. But know that in this pulpit, we will always preach truth. And you were going to read through. I'm going to read through this, and maybe I should call up readers to, like, help me out. You'd be like, no. <laughs> I'm going to say the word sex more times in the next five minutes than I have in 15 years of pastoring. <laughs> so I'm just getting it out there, okay, just so we all are on the same page. Some of this, you're going to go, what in the world is going on? That's why I'm, thank God. I know bridges downstairs. We got nobody under the age from my, that I'm like 13 here that I know of. And people like Zoe don't count. <laughs> if she does start to talk about what I preached in this message, I want to know because that's amazing. <laughs> Some of you are going to go, what in the world was going on here? Some of you are going to go, that is disgusting. But guess what? There's a reason God had to deal with it. It was going on in their society. And here's the really sad part is we're going to read this and we'll be like, man, what a sick, twisted society those people lived in. And you are going to know, oh, I think that's going on in our society too. And if a man of God had to stand up and say it in Leviticus, a man of God better stand up and say it in the 21st century. Leviticus 18, verse 6, he says, you must never have sexual relationships with a close relative. I'm the Lord. Do not violate your father by having sexual relations with your mother. I told you, man, this is sick stuff. She's your mother. You must not have sexual relations with her. You would say, why in the world would you have to say that? Do not have sexual relations with any of your father's wives, for this would violate your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister or half-sister, whether she is your father's daughter or your mother's daughter. People obviously thought they had an argument at one point. Whether she was born into your household or someone else's. Let me just make that clear. Do not have sexual relations with your granddaughter, whether she's your son's daughter, your daughter's daughter, for this would violate yourself. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister, your father's close relative. Verse 13, do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister, for she is your mother's close relative. 14, do not violate your uncle, your father's brother, by having sexual relations with his wife, for she is your aunt. Thanks for spelling that out. <laughs> do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She's your son's wife, so you must not have sexual relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife, for this would violate your brother. Do not have sexual relations both with both a woman and her daughter. And do not take her granddaughter, whether she's your son's daughter or daughter's daughter, and have sexual relations with her. They are close relatives, and this would be a wicked act. Could you imagine just sitting through this as he's saying these things? While your wife is living, do not marry her sister and have sexual relations with her, for this, they would be rivals. And that happened in Scripture. Do not have sexual relations with a woman during her period or menstrual impurity. At that point, it was considered ceremonially unclean at that time in the Old Testament. Verse 20, do not defile yourself by having sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife. Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Molech. What? Yep, they're doing that too. For you must not bring shame on the name of your God. I'm the Lord your God. 
And he says in verse 22, do not practice homosexuality as having sex with another man as with a woman. It's a detestable sin. So this is, this is good. You read this whole passage because for those who want to say that Christians just pick on homosexuality, I want you to see that the whole thing was all about sexual sin, not asexual sin. It's about sexual sin. He didn't zero in on one thing and leave out the others. In the New Testament, God also speaks about homosexuality. But he also speaks about heterosexual fornication and adultery. It's all sexual sin. But here's another thing I want you to see. And then it goes into verse 23. A man must, must not defile himself by having sex with an animal. And a woman must not offer herself to a male animal to have intercourse with it. This is a perverse act. What? kind of weirdos was this what here's what i want you to know sexual sin never stops at one location read how the read how the the passage begins to transpire it does not stop with one perverse thing it goes from hey you know with family be careful your heterosexual stuff with family oh you know what homosexual stuff be careful there and then you know what be careful with, with animals because no one ever just wakes up and says, man, I'm going to mess around with this, and it's going to go all the way to here. Nobody does that. But you know, I think I've said this in this pulpit before. I was watching a video, sports video on Facebook once, and it slides up, and it pops up to the next video. And there was some lady, like, licking the mouth of her dog. In a very, not like a, oh, I love dogs too. No, in a very perverse and sexual way. And I said to my wife, I said, social media is already trying to get us ready for the next stop in sexual perversion. Because the more that we get accustomed to viewing it, the more, right now we're going, that's preposterous. This is disgusting. But the more that it is portrayed, it becomes normal. This is one time I pray to God that I am so far off. But I would not be surprised in the next 15 years if you start seeing and hearing about bestiality. Sexual perversion never stops at one location. Brother Bounds said at camp meeting on Friday, one of the biggest problems with the church right now is we're negotiating with things that want to destroy us. And so during his message, I felt convicted. I'm going, God... I'm just going to preach to people, and I'm going, but I had message, this message prepared, and I'm going, wow, Lord, I keep kind of going back and forth about, do we continue this holiness? You keep, you're not giving me release to stop, and so I keep preaching holiness because I feel like God is going, it's time to be holy. It's time to be consecrated. It's time to be separated. It's time to be set apart. I believe that God's preaching that, and he's laying that in my heart, and then he gets up and preaches this, and I was like, wow, he's saying some of the same things that I have in this message, and I just said, Lord, what do you mean to do? And I deleted my Facebook app right during in that message why I had done that once before but then I list a bunch of stuff to sell and I and I re-download it just so I can get everything sold but then all of a sudden before you know it you know you're you're viewing this and you're and not even that not even necessarily the content but just the time that you're just scrolling and you're looking at and, and I was just like I don't want that in my life I can jump on my laptop if I ever sell something I need to check something there and during right during the message I just leaned down on my phone and, and I, I, just, I just deleted it and he said, we will never have control over what we entertain ourselves with. I'll repeat that again. We will never have control over what we entertain ourselves with. The 18th chapter of Leviticus starts with the heterosexual sin with family, homosexual, bestiality. I read this knowing that, oh, man, we're all going to feel, I'm going to stand here and feel uncomfortable reading it. We're all going to feel uncomfortable together. But sexual sin will attack the core of the holiness of God's people. 
God started speaking to Moses in this chapter and telling him, I'm calling the children, my children, out of Egypt into a promised land. He didn't want them to practice the same things. Even though a lot of these things were acceptable, they were not acceptable to God. He demanded holiness and lifestyle, separation and consecration from the rest of the world, whether they were in Egypt or whether they were in Canaan. It doesn't matter if you live in Gladstone or Excelsior Springs or Liberty or Kansas City. It doesn't matter if you're on the KCK side or the KC Missouri side. God is calling us to a life of holiness. And as believers, we cannot participate in sexual sin. Not in person, not anything listed, in anything we just covered. It's all sin. He, li- he listed out, boom, 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 boom but also not virtually on any digital device. How can we say, well, yeah, no, that's, I would never do that, but I watch it for entertainment. What? That's why in the New Testament, Jesus took it a step further and said, hey, they said in the Old Testament this, but if you even think in your heart, everything that went on the old, he took it to the new level and the new. My family was in Galveston, Texas a couple years ago, and I saw a man wearing a T-shirt. And his T-shirt said, morally flexible. And I know he probably meant that as a joke. Hopefully, probably not, though. Morally flexible. This is the state of our world. But it cannot be the state of the church cannot be. What do you stand for? If we choose not to follow these commands, God goes on to tell Moses, he says, Moses, if they do it, they'll defile themselves. And these are the things that the people around them were doing, but it still didn't make it right for them. So what he says is in verse 24, he says, do not, he just got done giving this whole list. And he goes, do not defile yourself in any of these ways. For the people I'm driving out, they have defiled themselves. There it is. We knew it was happening. Clearly, Scripture says they're doing this stuff. You're living in a land, church, you're living in a land where people are doing this stuff. People are making videos and big money on portraying things here. They're doing this stuff. And you're living in the land. He says, because the entire land has become defiled, I'm punishing the people who live there. I will cause the land to vomit them out. You must obey all my decrees and regulations. He does not say, I understand, you know, I'm patient, you live there. He says, you must obey all my decrees and regulations. You must not commit any of these detestable sins. This applies to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. This is not just an Israelite thing. This is not just an Old Testament thing. My children should not be doing this, is what he's saying. He says, so he says, all these detestable activities are practiced by the people of the land where I'm taking you. It's not just what I'm calling you out of, it's where I'm taking you. There are always, he's telling his people, there are always going to be people around you who are participating in things that are not like what I want you to live like. And I want you to understand, I don't care if you're in Egypt or if you're in Canaan, there is an expectation I have for my children, and they should be holy, separated, consecrated unto me. And that includes sexual sin. It doesn't matter if it's Canaan. It doesn't matter if it's Egypt. It doesn't matter if it's Kansas City, Missouri. It doesn't matter if it's Kansas City, Kansas. God is calling his people to purity. And then he says... Do not, in verse 28, do not defile the land to give it reason to vomit you out as it will vomit the people out who live there now. Whoever commits any of these detestable sins will be cut off from the community of Israel. So obey my instructions. Don't defile yourselves by committing all of these, any of these detestable practices that were committed by the people who lived in the land before you. I am the Lord your God. I was trying to figure out a way to make this message more upbeat. To try and be a little bit encouraging. I will tell you, it's been a long time since I've had such spiritual opposition to a message. 
I'm telling you, I sat down on my computer and I started working. Something would happen. Step away. Sat down on my computer, started working. Something would happen. Start myself. And I just, and then even while I'm preparing it, I started and I was like, all right, Lord, I had this. I just had a basic thought. And I love when I sit down at a computer to prepare a message and God's already spoken the whole message to me. And I just type the whole thing out. It flows and I'm like, oh, and it's super quick. And it's just like, just, oh, it just flows. This was one of those that it took me like weeks to prepare. And every time I sat down, there was times even when I got into the content, it went a different direction. I was like, I certainly did not say, you know what, God, I feel like I should deal with sexual things at Refuge Church. Listen, what should I? That was not an intentional. That was like a sitting at a computer and God starts impressing things and showing things and having me type things. And I'd stop and I'd walk upstairs and I'd pray a while. And I'd come back down to the kitchen table and I'd start working. And I'd stop and I'd walk outside and, and I'd, I'd come back and I just I kept pausing and stopping and going, God, is this, is this what you want to say? Is this, this is so, it's so harsh. It's so raw. I mean, it's, it's stuff that we don't really talk about in public settings. I just felt this opposition. And I felt like what God was saying is there are people in your church that are deep in sexual sin right now. And I want to do everything I can to get them out of that. It's destroying your life your marriage, your ministry, and God just stopped everything to show up on this Sunday afternoon to go, it doesn't have to be like that. He stopped it all to go, it doesn't have to be like that. But sexual sin is such a dark, deep thing that you can keep hidden you can still sing songs and teach and do all this. Not if we knew, but I can, keep, I can keep viewing those things and doing those things and texting those people and meeting up secretly, and I can do this, and nobody knows. So I can put on my suit and tie and smile, and when somebody says, praise the Lord, brother, I can go, praise the Lord, good to see you today. How are you today? But deep inside, something in me is dying. Going. No, it's not right. But I don't know how to get help, and I feel like I'm hopeless, and I feel like I'm helpless. I've done it so long. And God's showing up on this Sunday afternoon, going, I love you people too much. I still want you to be a part of my ecclesia. I still want you to be a part of my church. I still want your ministry to be what I called you to be. And your ministry's not gone. It's not done but it can't continue on the same path. And so God is, is, is sounding an emergency alarm, literally stopping an entire Sunday afternoon service to reach to a group of people or a handful of people and go, I love you so much, and I want your ministry to be what I have called it to be, and I want your family and your marriage to be what I've called it to be, but instead you keep turning to the wrong things, and today is the day that I'm saying, turn to me. And that does not mean just come to an altar. That's a good start. But I'm about to be done, and that does not mean altar is open. Let's come and say a quick prayer and say, in Jesus' name. Which, you know what? When I open the altars, your humanity is going to go, don't go up there. What if someone thinks you're the one struggling? I think two things need to happen. As the body of Christ, if, we, if one struggles, we all struggle. That means we should all attack the altar together so no one's singled out. But number two, if you're here, don't let your pride get you from, from stop you from getting before the Lord and going, God, I got to lay this on your altar today. Forgive me, Jesus, for I have sinned against you, and I don't want to keep sinning like this. I don't want my wife or my husband to have to keep dealing with it, even if they don't know they're dealing with it. I don't want my kids to bring those spirits into my home and expose my children to it. Oh, well, you know what? Some of the things I look at, that, that doesn't do no harm to anybody. We live in a spiritual world. Every time you view something, Something. You're bringing it into your home and exposing your children. And it's got to stop today. So 
It's not just find an altar. It's do whatever it takes. It's get rid of the digital device. It's if you need to. You might think that I sound like a nut job this afternoon, but if you need to, go back to an old flip phone with an LCD screen that you had to hit a button four times to get a letter. Instead of all the smart stuff of, of an iPhone or an Android, go back to the old flip phone that you can carry in your pocket that doesn't even have a colored screen. Do what you got to do to get heaven, to get to heaven. Do what you got to do for your children to be saved. Do what you got to do to defeat the things that have shackled you. Get accountability software and an accountability partner. End the relationship if you're texting somebody that you've been texting. You don't belong texting. Stop it. You're a married man or woman. Stop it. If you need to, move out if you're not married. I know nobody preaches that anymore today. But God, that doesn't mean you have to break up and end the relationship. But just get things pure. Get things in according to, to in line with Scripture. Seek help and counsel if you're tangled in a web of sexual sin. Sexual sin is such a secret sin. And it allows you to keep going in public like, you, like everything's fine. But you're not fine. You're defiling the temple of the living God. You're scarring it. You're scarring things, and God is stopping it all. And I'm just about done today. You can stand to your feet. But God's stopping it all because he loves you, because he's looking at you going, I'm calling you out of that stuff. And if you're going, yeah, I just didn't think it was that big of a deal, he's stopping you and going, it is a big deal. Sexual sin is one of the most secret things that's going on. Oh, yeah, you know, thank God there's no murder in the church. Well, thank God there's none of this. Thank God there's no embezzling. Yeah, and we know all those things do go on, but over for the most part. But you know how many churches, you know how many ministries are being destroyed right now because of sexual sin, because of what's being looked at, viewed, done behind closed doors in secret? And nobody wants to come forward because, oh, man, I don't want anybody to think anything about me. So I just keep trying and going, oh, today I'm going to try harder. Today I'm going to try harder. And every day you just keep falling. God wants to break it today. But you've got to be willing. On Friday night at the end of the message was tongues interpretation. And God spoke and said, I am in this place. But my response is based on yours. Close. You might have heard the story about Joseph interpreting dreams and going to Egypt to be the second in command of Pharaoh. God used that to save Israel and provide food during the upcoming famine. Well, Joseph's dad, Jacob, Jacob has his name changed to Israel. The nation of Israel started off as one man and his family. But he came down to live the rest of his life in Egypt with his son, Joseph. Look at his request as his time draws near. He's about to die. Genesis 47, verse 28. Jacob lived for 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. He was there 17 years. Lived 147 years in all. But as the time of his death drew near, Jacob called for his son Joseph. Hey, guy's getting ready to die, and his number one thing seems to be on his mind is this. He says, do me a favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring this last request. His last request, do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, take my body out of Egypt. Bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph said, yeah, I'll do whatever you ask. He said, swear that you will do it. Joseph gave his oath, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. Jacob knew that this land that represented sin and paganism, it, that was just a place that he was passing through. He didn't want to be left in Egypt. Egypt was not his home. The pull of the things of this world are so strong at times. They're so strong. 
I know I can sit here and preach and you might think he's got it all together. He doesn't get tempted by the things of this world. Oh my goodness, I do. Because the world's so strong and it surrounds us and it's everywhere all the time. And what we're trying to stand for is so countercultural that sometimes it's just really difficult to stand strong when it seems like everyone's like, you do that, you wear that, you wear that, you dress that, you, you worship that way, why do you go that, why do you go that? And everything is just constant. I'm just different than everybody, and sometimes it just gets so tiring. But hear me when I say God is honoring you when you say, I will not let Egypt influence me. I will not let Canaan influence me. I will not remain in Egypt. My dying wish is God. This world's not my home, and I know one day you're coming back for me, and I don't want to be in Egypt when you come back. I want to be in the homeland. I want to be where you want me to be. I want to be right with you, God. I will not let Egypt have influence in me when you're calling me to live separated, consecrated, set apart, holy unto you, oh God, which is my reasonable service today. And so church, let this be an encouragement that if you're living holy, separated, consecrated, don't be discouraged, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. You're doing what God has called you to do. Keep going, stand strong, stand firm, hold to the word. And if it's not you, and if you've gotten mixed up and messed up in sexual sin and in the things that you're doing or texting or people you're meeting or things you're viewing and watching, today's the day it's got to stop. Today's the day we got to find an altar and pray. Today's the day that maybe you got to go and buy an old flip phone and say it ends, it stops here. I want to save my life. I want eternity. I want to make heaven my home. I want to remain married. I want to have my children not deal with this because if there is a generational curse, it's got to be broken somewhere along the line. Let today be the day that you say, this stops here. My children will not deal with this because I'm going to deal with it once and for all. It stops with me. Oh, I invite every member, every member of the church that can find a place to pray. Maybe you can't all get to the very front, but just move forward. Just find somewhere where you can find a place between you and Jesus that goes, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, help me to renew my vow to you, Lord. Help me. I live consecrated, separated, holy unto you. Lord, help me to make choices. Help me, Lord Jesus, to make decisions that will draw lines around my consecration and commitment to you, God. Help us to live holy, separated holiness in our most secret places, God. Jesus, help me. Help me, God, today. Help me, God, today. Oh, Jesus, we need you today. The church needs you today. Your ecclesia needs you today, God. Help us.